Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. It is Thursday, November 19th. We are creeping into the holiday season that I don't know about you, but I don't feel entirely ready for it. I feel like we've uh, half lived a year that usually the holidays cap with a, a celebratory level of closure that's spent with the ones that matter to us most. Yet, I feel irresponsible visiting family. I feel like I don't know what the holiday season brings. My cable subscription is at risk, and that's a different story. Uh, So my access to Hallmark movies is limited. And beyond that, I just filled the ceiling of my office with fairy lights, thinking it would be like a bistro in an Italian alleyway, when really, it's more like, uh, you know that store Justice? Or maybe like a Claire's offshoot. What's it called? Frosting? Icing? (laughs) It looks like the cheesiest, most preteen attempt at like having TikTok lights while I film myself in from below transition videos to Megan Thee Stallion songs about how, you know, call me patty cake because the way that ass shake. I just feel like I'm trying to be somebody I'm not. All the while, Today, I've been obsessed with trying to cancel my accountant. You know, guys, uh, we can't all be blessed with third-party service providers that stick to their trades. No, not mine. My accountant of six, seven years uh, asked my advice in, I don't know, early quarantine about uh, becoming a YouTube star because he had done some stimulus checks videos and they had done well and much better than I've ever been able to do on any platform ever, mind you. And I encouraged it. I said, that's awesome. You can monetize that. Here's how. Do X, Y, and Z with YouTube. We had a short conversation. And, uh, you know, I haven't heard from him since. And that is because he's amassed millions of followers, hundreds of millions, if not over a billion views, uh, on his videos about stimulus checks and whatnot, and has completely up and left his practice. And instead of identifying, you know, uh, notifying his clients that his practice ceases to exist now, he just ghosted everyone. His voicemail inbox is full. He doesn't respond to emails. So I've decided I have no, no other choice but to start spamming his YouTube videos. And I'm not a troll, but I am a stickler for protocol. And by God, if you're a CPA preparing people's tax documents, in the event there needs to be some sort of follow-up or investigation, they're supposed to have your back. But he won't even call me back. He he, he deleted one of my YouTube comments because I think it was a duplicate, but left up the other ones. And I did get five upvotes. So thanks to the YouTube accounting community for the solidarity. One person said I'm trying to sully his good name. And I said, no, sir, he's a great accountant. He just didn't follow the ethical protocol for closing down his practice and giving his clients access to the files. And I simply want justice. And no, not the kind with the twinkle lights above my bed that I accidentally called frosting earlier. I want real justice. I don't think that's too much to ask. Anyway, you guys, I, I'm half kidding. I'm not a big canceler. I just, it's like, I don't know. It's a lot of energy. Like people that have energy to go after people constantly, I'm amazed by it because I just have no energy and it's unnatural for me to be mad. So anytime I'm trying hard to be mad, it's actually like an overexertion of energy I don't even have. People are trying to cancel Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio because they had this D'Amelio family YouTube video come out where Dixie spits out a snail a la Amanda Lemon dressed as Alyssa Calloway when she's like, this tastes like a balloon. Uh, all this money and these people eat slugs? That's my Alyssa Calloway for you. Um, or my Amanda as Alyssa impression for you. Been working on it for decades. Um, Dixie spit out a slug or snail. <laughs> and Charlie, like, 
the Dixie spit out the snail in front of the chef that prepared the snail, and then like she threw up outside. And then Charlie like asked for dino nuggets in front of the chef when he like cooked them like a beautiful vegan paella or something. And in general, the two are just so bratty. And I mean, one, I'm kind of like, guys, did you just arrive at this party? Like, I Dixie has been <laughs> rather entitled uh, for a very long time and borderline resentful toward her success. I think Charlie's largely very sweet and problematic, but she's also 16. And I think her behind the scenes stuff, like even though she's pretty polished when she's on, her behind the scenes stuff tends to be pretty like juvenile, but she also is a is ju- a juvenile. Um, so like, I'm just not as mad as everyone else. Like they're wealthy, they're entitled, their parents up and left Connecticut to move to LA to pursue their careers. Like this is a family going for it and milking the showbiz. And it's just not an all American down home family. That's probably punishing their daughters for like bratty behavior. I mean, like the entire world's obsessed with them. They're, they're currently raising two people with a very high propensity for insufferable behavior. And it's up to the, I guess, themselves and the parents to correct for it but like yeah it's not cute it's not becoming but dixie said it was out of context and that it was like kind of a joke and that the chef like they've known for forever and they will give her food to make her throw up as a joke because she like gags so much or something i don't know it was very strange Uh, perhaps stranger is that at the beginning of the video they were like who's it gonna be maya rudolph dave Chappelle, taylor swift and they're all saying this with like so nonchalantly as who their surprise guest is gonna be and i'm like if I honestly thought Taylor Swift or Dave Chappelle could come was coming to my dinner, I'd be pacing. I'd be sweating. I if if I thought Taylor Swift was coming to my home, you, you, I would be rummaging through all my storage, pulling out every candle that's seasonally appropriate on the books, baking fresh cookies, preparing my list of questions, and making sure above all else I demand to know why she was dressed in that palm outfit, sawing off that wing on the alleged original TS6, and then look what you made me do video. I have a lot of questions. In conclusion, though, the joke was the person that showed up to their mystery celebrity dinner was James Charles. It's like, okay, I mean, James is pretty omnipresent at this point. I can, can see James Charles content if I need to, but get get Tati in there. Let's let's hear from her. What's her vibe? If I accidentally canceled James Charles last year, I don't know if I would have put myself into this this the pit this of despair. I would have somersaulted, but I would have popped right back on up. I think she like is kind of she what she did was wrong but then she was like well, you know i was manipulated by jeffree star and that was wrong and we're like cool cool you're wrong like what's your vibe though are you coming back like how's halo beauty your skin's glowing i loved that video you did with jlo's makeup artist like i find your voice soothing like i don't know how to feel about you but i'm willing to still watch like her jacqueline hill the beauty gurus that i like loved and followed are they're just over it and this is what i don't want for my life i do not want to expand and scale and oversaturate and then resent the very thing that got me to where I am. It sounds like a nightmare that I don't wish upon anybody, myself included. And that's why I'm here for the micro vibes. I'm here for the personalized, uh, I don't know, approach you guys take to being a listener and a Beth. And I don't know, you guys are so sweet and wonderful. And thank you again for your support, the live show. And thank you as always for just being awesome and kind and even as posting pictures because I'm like going through a rebrand for my photo shoot. You guys are just like, and, and my sponsored content from Real Housewives, like no matter what, you guys are so supportive. I'm like, I just don't deserve you and I just can't thank you enough. But anyway, it's not important. Speaking of uh, micro influence, which is something I myself am because I have a hundred, oh, under a hundred thousand Instagram followers. I, I, I want 2021 to be the year of the micro influencer. I'm so tired of the Danielle Bernsteins of the world that 
are huge and they mess up and they only seem to get bigger and no one seems to care. Meanwhile, there are people cranking out incredible high quality content, consistent content, educational, you know, activist content that uh, deserve to be featured more and deserve all the credit in the world. And, and the type of people I want to support and the type of people I want you to support and follow and to see do great things are people like who I have on today, Karma and Meyer from uh, the Good Karma blog and her Instagram at the Good Karma blog. Uh, she is awesome. She is a teacher and an activist and an influencer and has a blog and just is an all around incredible woman with a lot of range. And I love how she can switch the content type on a dime. And I think she's really taken a lot of leadership in uh, recent months in educating her followers about social justice and talking about different issues as it relates to the election, but also keeping it um you know, light and airy when and if she feels like it. I'm always arguing here for rage. I'm always arguing for like less strategy, more authenticity, because I think authenticity is having a moment of depth paired with a moment of utter nonsense and being able to show both of those things and not be, you know, labeled off brand. Because I don't know, I kind of, you know, everybody had a personal brand in recent years. I'm kind of just here for the era of people and not trying so hard to make your brand something that fits within certain confines because i don't know i mean like yeah i have a personal brand but it's literally the most disjointed thing on the planet because that's who i am and it wouldn't be natural for me to like tell you about meal planning or condescending breakfast foods like overnight oats or acai bowls i freaking hate those things Who, whoever if somebody wakes up and does all that much chopping we we fundamentally do not have enough in common <laughs> I just don't get it. <laughs> anyway, guys, okay, um, I'll get to the interview. Carmen's awesome. You'll love her. It's a really interesting conversation. We cover all sorts of things from, uh, you know, social justice and Black Lives Matter and kind of shifting her content to be more educational to her being, you know, Meghan Markle's BFF in her head. No, we can't stand Kelly Dodd. You know, we talk about all sorts of things. I do a quick plug uh, that I'm looking for, like a person to help be there in five with like all things uh visual it's like kind of graphic design but it's kind of more somebody with branding experience because i'm not looking for an illustration i don't want a cartoonized version of myself um i'm not looking for like a minimalist square spacey logo uh i am looking for like somebody who's like very visually talented and who can like take some risks and kind of gets this vibe that like we can discuss and uh we'll kind of just be able to have on retainer and be a go-to for stuff we need designed like uh with merch and shows and um website stuff so just a heads up if any of you out there uh are experts in this space to send your portfolio to courtney at podcast at be there in five.com i haven't looked through any of them yet but she mentioned i should probably clarify i'm not looking for like illustrations it's more like graphic design like words over photo type things um and anyway, that's super vague, but I want it, to, it's funny. I'm so terrified of people not liking me that I actually usually won't solicit any like listeners or consumers of my content because it's like why I don't moderate the Facebook group. I can't say no to people that su are supportive of me. Like I never want you to have a bad experience, but it's like for things that are visual and aesthetic and brand related, it's like nobody gets it better than you guys. So I'm sure there's so many talented people I could be supporting who are freelancing so just a reminder, if anybody wants to send us over any of their info, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, anyway, you guys, I will now get to the interview. It'll be a couple ads. 
there'll be a couple ads in the middle of the interview, but we'll, we'll, we'll move right on through. Thank you for supporting my livelihood. Thank you for being the best listeners ever. Uh, I did say over the weekend out loud, you're my best friends. And you know, it's tough. It's tough rolling off the tongue. It really isn't great, but, um, you are simply the best and uh, I love you so much. (laughs) And, uh, now for the episode, I don't know if I've told you guys big news here. I'm, I am redecorating. Uh, it is weird because I'm moving in a few months, but I need to change the scenery if we're going to be inside all winter. Uh, and you know, the only thing I'm not changing in my apartment is my Helix mattress. It meant a lot to me because I wrote in my book, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, that a uh, big rite of passage for an influencer was to get a mattress in a box. And this is not your average mattress in a box. God, no. This is a company that thought outside the box, but to be clear, it does still arrive in a box. Helix Sleep makes personalized mattresses made right here in America and shipped straight to your door with free, no contact delivery, free returns, and a 100-night sleep trial. Uh, but to choose a mattress, Helix made a quiz, and it takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. If you like one that's soft or firm, if you sleep on your side or on your back or your stomach, if you tend to get really hot. As a person that gets hot and is a stomach sleeper that likes a medium level of firmness, I do have the dusk, as does Kelly. Courtney has a Helix mattress too, but I'm not sure which one she got. And we None of us have returned them. We're all obsessed. And if I can make a quick plug, not only do we need to be upgrading our homes, but we need to be upgrading our original homes. If we're adults now, if you've got some cash but a bad back, my God, if you're going to your parents' house, your childhood home, wherever you go to celebrate you and yours safely in this holiday season, please, by all means, uh, follow your local guidelines. Um, I think it's important we get rid of those 80s, 90s springtastic mattresses and get ourselves a Helix. I I don't want to be disgruntled, but I think you deserve better than a trundle this holiday season. And if you'll go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five and take their two minute sleep quiz, they'll match you to a customized mattress and give you the best sleep of your life. And don't take my word for it. It was voted the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ, Wire Magazine and Apartment Therapy. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it for 100 nights risk-free, and they'll even pick it up free if you don't love it. But I promise you will. So right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash be there in five for up to $200 off. Thanks to Helix. Love them. Now to transition from uh, Trundle to Rapunzel. Uh, that's what I feel like, because honestly, you guys, my hair is thriving, and that is thanks to Nutrafol. It's not my vibe to, like... I feel like this is a product that when I first started taking, I was like a little unsure if it was like something I wanted to endorse on my podcasts because supplements is it's a tough category and everybody's results can be individualized. However, Nutrafol is an incredible product that has two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding throughout all stages of life. And in a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months and more than 1,500 top doctors recommended Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. So when I was starting to feel like, unlike my dog Tugboat that became the favorite in the house because he doesn't shed because he's a shih tzu, my husband took on a wife that did shed, and my hair was falling out like crazy and kind of like receding, and I was getting concerned. I heard about Nutrafol in another podcast, actually, because I have good friends that use it, and tried it for myself, and I don't know, my hair used to max out at a certain length. I feel like it's thicker, it's healthier. People have commented a lot, like, how my hair get is like, did they always ask if I dyed my hair, if it's gotten darker? But I honestly think because it's growing faster and thicker, it's like my natural color. Um, and I just feel like, I don't know, it looks great and it's hard to provide a metric for you, but I genuinely like this product. It's 100% drug-free. They're medical-grade botanicals and consistently effective dosages. So you get the most reliable results. And uh, Nutrivol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. So no matter your stage in life, Nutrafol has a solution. And Nutrafol Women is ideal if you're experiencing thinning caused by stress, dieting, overstyling, and environmental toxins. 
while Women's Balance is formulated with additional hormone support for those with thinning hair through menopause. So anyway, you guys, if you want to give it a try, you can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using promo code BE THERE IN FIVE, and new customers will get 20% off. This is their best offer available anywhere, plus free shipping on every order. So get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled, a- spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code BE THERE IN FIVE. All right, you guys, I'm so excited. I, I've talked before how I, about how I wanted to start highlighting micro influencers that I love. And that term just means you have under 100,000 followers. So I am one too, by the way. Um, and I was just telling Carmen, I, I get so tired of hearing the same people featured everywhere all the time who are just like phoning it in. And I just, I don't know, there are people who share such high quality, interesting, thought provoking, but also fun content that I want you guys to get to know. And one of my favorite follows is this lovely woman named Carmen Meyer. She's a Houston-based teacher, blogger, an influencer, and her blog's called The Good Karma Blog. And I, I need to start telling people at the beginning to check out my guests. So go to at The Good Karma Blog on Instagram and thegoodkarmablog.com to familiarize yourself before we chat if you'd like. But anyway, mm-hmm. Carmen, I am so excited to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> so how, I'm trying to remember how we got it into each other's universe. Um, well, I've been listening to your podcast for a while. <laughs> I found you when you started comparing Kate Middleton to Samantha, the American Girl doll. And <laughs> then I realized you had a podcast and I was like, I have to start listening. And so then I just became an avid listener. I love hearing a point of entry. You know, all roads <laughs> lead back to American Girl doll. <laughs> Don't they really? (laughs) There are so many things I want to talk to you about, but I just have to get this out of the way because I'm just, I'm I'm beside myself, is the vacuum. Oh, Oh, (laughs) our new one arrived today. (laughs) Okay. So for some background, and correct me if I'm wrong, basically Carmen had a vacuum delivered and the vacuum was in a, a, a box that basically... It was obvious it was a vacuum, kind yeah, of. Yeah, it was in its original packaging. Yeah. And then what happened that it got to your neighbor's house? So I think the delivery guy, whoever it was, dropped it off at the wrong address. You know, that happens sometimes. And I don't know about you, but whenever an Amazon package gets delivered, we get a picture saying, like, it was delivered. Tell us how we did. And I looked at the picture and I was like, okay, that's definitely not our house. And I had just gotten home from work. So I was like, let me put on some shoes. I'll go to, down to the neighbor's house and find it. And I walked around for a bit and I was like, I don't see it on anyone's front porch. So <laughs> I got in my car and started driving around to each house. And I was like, okay, that's the house that it got dropped off at. And I went, you know, had my mask on, knocked on the door and the guy opened the door. And I was like, I got a package delivered here. I showed him the picture and he was like, oh, a a package? A pa- well, first he started looking at me like, what is a package? And I was like, you know, the delivery drivers drop it off at your house. And I was trying to, I was like, am I a dictionary? Yeah, I was like, they're in a box. He was like, oh, oh, yeah, you know, they delivered it. It was a vacuum, I think, but they came and picked it back up. And I was like, oh, they picked it back up? He said, yeah, they, you know, they put it back on the truck. I was like, 
okay, well, thank you. Cause what am I going to do at that point? Like ask to search his house. Like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure you have it. Actually, I was naive at that point. I was like, okay, thank you. We must, they're just going to drop it off later. Um, but they didn't. And now I know that my neighbor is probably a thief and a liar, which is not sitting right with me, but you know, we got our vacuum, um, our carpet cleaner. And, you know, if he needs it that much, then I hope he's really happy with it. Ugh, you're an angel. It made me so mad. You were like, you did a poll. You're like, do you think this guy stole my vacuum? And I was like, yes, I absolutely stole your vacuum. People were were livid. And then I had so many stories of people who had gotten their packages stolen, especially people who live in apartments. And, you know, like there was seven or 8% of people who were like, no, he didn't take it. And I was like, we got to protect these people because they're angels and very naive. We need to protect them. Even though the outside packaging had a pro like a product on it. I don't know if I would have looked at it. And didn't you say I had a package and then they, the guy said, Oh, the vacuum. Like he, it was almost weird that he said the item name. Yes, and he, he said it, he said it. I didn't even bring up what the package was. And I was like, so you had enough time to look at the package. Like what, <laughs> what were you doing? What transpired between them picking it back up and you looking at the package, knowing the make and the model and everything else about it. <laughs> I'm just obsessed with bad acting too. Like <laughs> him being like a pack, it comes with a DJ package. It's like you, you've been rehearsing this probably for the past two hours and yeah. you're like those TikTok pranks. It's like we can see right through your oh, bad acting. You've got a camera in his shirt pocket. <laughs> yes, exactly. It just made me laugh. And I'm glad to hear it got resolved. I mean, kind of, but this is why yeah. I'm not friends with my neighbors. People are think I'm crazy, but you just don't know who's nearby. No, yeah. And then I'm like, now it's kind of weird because he knows our names because our names were on the package and he knows which house we're at. And I never knew him before, but now I'm like, I don't want to start anything because he knows my name and where I live. So, okay. So Carmen, you are a teacher by day, correct? Yes, I am. So I teach preschoolers and kindergartners. So right from the start, I'm the, the youngest kids in the age group. Oh my gosh. So are you in school or are you virtual learning right now? We're in school. So we have really small classes. Um, you know, I wear a mask all day. We take temperatures when the children are dropped off. We take their parents' temperature. We have a questionnaire they have to fill out online before coming to school each week. Um, so I feel like we're being pretty safe, but you just never know. <laughs> How'd you get into teaching? It's kind of a long story. So, well, I did go, I went to LSU for um, early childhood education, but I was not 100% sure I wanted to be a teacher at all. My mom is also a teacher, a Montessori teacher. Um, and so I was a little bit interested in Montessori, but I just, I realized while in college, how much teaching takes out of you. I was like, yeah. this is not just an eight hour as day job. When you go home, you're thinking about it. You think about your students on the weekends, like you become such a big part of their lives. Um, and so I was not sure I actually wanted to be a teacher because I didn't know if I wanted to invest all of that um, into a career path. But I then, I don't know if you know this about me, but I lived in Uganda for a while. So while I was there, I just kind of had this epiphany and I'd visited there a lot of times beforehand um, as a teacher, working with teachers there 
who were interested in bringing Montessori to their communities. And I just realized like what a huge impact education could have and seeing all the things that were going on around me while in East Africa, but then also back home in Louisiana and in Texas in the South, I was like, I, this is a way I can make a difference. Like if I teach these children how to care about one another, how to care about the people around them who look differently than them. Um, and when I do it with children who are at such a young age already teaching them and giving them such a good foundation from the start, I feel like, and I hope it makes a huge impact for the rest of their lives. So um, I got into teaching for the long-term benefit um, because I think if you don't have that vision, when you are a teacher, you can get burnt out really quickly. It's so important to not have teachers phoning it in. And it's so important to have yeah. teachers that are really thinking the way you are about the ultimate impact they're having because the, yeah, those foundational years are crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the other side of why I got into it, because when I was in school, I went to really good schools, but I just had teachers who I just did not, this sounds terrible, but I did not respect them because, you know, you can kind of, as a, even as a teenager, you know, we don't give them enough credit. You can kind of see through what your teacher is doing, if they are phoning it in, if they don't really care, if you feel like, you know, you're, you're at a school to get this great quality education and you're not receiving it. And I um, spoke up a lot about that probably when I probably should have stayed quiet and respectful, but um, I just had all these run-ins with teachers and I was like, that kind of propelled me forward to wanting to be a teacher to kind of do it the right way. Maybe more of a stubborn side of me. (laughs) No, I think, I think that's amazing. And I feel like that's kind of the, careers born out of uh, wanting improvement on your own experiences in some format, I think kind of grounds you in purpose in general. And I think the preschool kindergarten, my sister was a kindergarten teacher for a long time and I would always go to her class and I just, this, the way you have to shift the way you're using your brain to speak to small children. is so funny. And I would laugh at my sister because we'd have like an adult conversation. She'd walk in the room and like, whoosh, she would change. And she'd be like, okay, what's the weather outside? Weather watcher, weather watcher. And she'd like, everything was a song. And I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. You you have to really have almost this like advanced level of intelligence that allows you to separate from what you know to speak to somebody. And I don't know, I just find it really impressive that when people are that good with children, because I, I shake toddlers' hands. I'm like, Hi, nice. Nice to meet you. How's <laughs> how's your family? I don't know. I love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You definitely. Um, I come home sometimes and I still have the teacher voice on, and my fiance's like, "You, you're, you're still talking to me like you're in the classroom. You have to talk really slowly. You have to remember that their brains are taking a little bit more time to process the information or the question that you're asking them and all of the songs. I feel like as a kindergarten teacher, I'm like looking up new songs to reel them in. I'm like an entertainer. <laughs> and I'm doing vocal yeah. warm-ups before class to get my voice ready. And I'm like, okay, what are we going to sing today? Um, I love yeah. that. <laughs> yes. And like you were saying before, I think the hardest part though, is the parents. Like, teaching the kids and getting down on their level. That's something you can learn throughout the years, but I'm always nervous meeting the parents because I'm like, I don't know what kind of parents am I going to get this year? Are they going to be involved? Are they going to be judgmental? 
Um, I've had parents ask me the craziest questions before just about my career and how much I know. And they start Mm. questioning you from the get go because parents are also bringing in their own past personal school experiences and they project that heavily onto their children. And as a teacher, I'm having to show them like, Hey, I'm on your side. I respect you as a parent and we're working with, we're working together to provide a quality education and I love your child. Like I want the best for them. So yeah, it's, that would give me a lot of anxiety. (laughs) And as I've done like uh, research generation to generation, it's interesting when you read about um, Gen X being known as like the helicopter parent who the bulk of your kids probably, and not bulk, well, you probably have more millennial parents now, but Gen X and older millennials are like, we're, the one of the first generations that were largely latchkey and they kind of helicopter and hover as a result in like direct contrast. And I've heard teachers say that like, as the years go on, it's just kind of like the levels of involvement while they're entitled to it, to a a degree. It's also like, you're a professional, (laughs) you got to do your job and you're qualified for your job. And I think at that age, people are so protective. I'd imagine it's, it's, I don't know, it's difficult to navigate, especially to stand up for yourself. Because mm-hmm. you, you you have to deal with them the entire year. Yeah. So you don't want the relationship going bad because if the teacher, if, if the parent doesn't respect you, then the ch- they're going to put that on their child and your child, their, their child will come in your classroom, not respecting you either. So it's the really fine balance of how do you talk to the parents and how do you remain professional at all times? Like parents can basically talk to you however they want and it all falls on your shoulders to remain professional. Um, I I was listening to your latest podcast about a childless millennial and I was feeling that so much because I've had parents ask me at, at the beginning of the school year, do you have children? And they're asking me that, like, it's going to impact my job. Like, I'm going to be better at it because I have children or I'm going to know more about children if I've had my own. And I'm like, you know, I don't have children, but I have been teaching for 12 years. And each one of those years, I've had 25 plus three, five, four-year-old and six-year-olds in my class. And, you know, I think I know enough about teaching this age group now. Like I know about children, like this is my part. Like I, you're an expert on your child, but I'm an expert on how to teach them and how to manage them. So you just kind of have to stand your ground from the get go and let parents know your boundaries. And that's something I've learned over time. I did not know that when I was 23 coming into the teaching realm. People treat women that way period kind of uh, whether it's, asking you personal questions and correlating that to your career in some way, like having kids or not, or like, you know, I remember people, I just felt really um, judged for being young. And then when I needed things from people or a lot of times women women would be like, you don't have kids, you don't get it. Like, and I was like, okay, but I just need the project. Like, I don't know. And then you don't (laughs) want to be insensitive, but, but beyond that, it's like, you don't have at the beginning, you don't have the experience to back up your argument. You just kind of have to like, nod. And I'm glad now you can, like yeah, you haven't no, you don't have kids. You've had hundreds of kids like throughout the past <laughs> twelve years. It's like insanity. And for what do you? I'm just curious. Like, there's so many parents that listen to this podcast that especially have, have young children. Mm-hmm. Like, 
how can parents be more supportive of teachers like right now and like always what's kind of like the best parent behavior in your book I'm just I'm genuinely curious I think when so because you are so and this may not go for every age but like you said for young children um, you're so involved with them and I think the relationship at least for me is different than when the child is older like when you're in high school your parents barely ever talk to your teachers but when children aren't able to communicate what goes on in their day, like I'm always talking to the parents and we build these weird relationships and friendships. And I really enjoy it when a parent, when a parent tries to get to know me outside of being a teacher um, as far as supporting so they can kind of see me as a person. Um, I know that may feel weird and may feel like you're crossing a boundary, but it doesn't need to be like, they need to know everything about me, but you know, what, like, what do you, I fill out a parent questionnaire and um, I send them information about myself at the beginning of each year. And I usually have parents respond with like more questions about it. And, but I feel supported in that way when parents kind of go the extra mile to get to know me, especially when they're requiring so much out of me. Um, because it's, it, I'm not even quite sure what it is. I, and I think it's because you just have an emotional attachment um, and like parents even have an emotional attachment to me. So I just moved from Baton Rouge and I had the opportunity to teach in the same classroom as my mom for two years. So we were co-teaching. Cool. Yeah. And so she's still at the same school teaching, um, with the same students that I had, um, because our students stay in our classroom for three years at a time. Um, and, you know, just the relationships that we have with those parents and, you know, the children's there, she sends me mail that the kids have made me and, you know, the parents are reaching out to, uh, to me through her. And I don't know, that just makes me feel like, okay, I did something right with my job. I have these relationships now. Um, you know, some of my past students, parents are coming to, well, they were invited to my wedding, but now that I've Aww. had to, to zero, make the numbers smaller, um, I may have to take some people off the guest list, but, uh, you know, I, I just feel like having that kind of relationship where we're a, an adult speaking to an adult instead of a parent teacher relationship is really yeah. helpful. So um, I think that's one way, but also just to like the schools are, and I'm not sure about every school, but most of my friends who are teachers and I talk to them, they're like, our school budget has shrunk so much this year. Um like numbers are lower, giving getting less government assistance. And so we're having to buy Clorox wipes. We're having to buy Lysol wipes or we're having to do all of these things. And we're also still having to buy all the extra stuff that we would buy for our classroom and purchase for our classroom. So I just think any little thing like that helps, like sending a little teacher care package. Um, those those are the things that I remember. Like this year, I think I actually got my first like little Apple package as a teacher. Like no one sends like 
apples to teachers anymore, but a mom like put together this whole apple oh, thing. Like I was thinking yeah. um, computers. Oh, oh no. <laughs> that would definitely be the extra mile. Um, but no, she, I like, forgot that people give like a teacher getting an apple. It's like a cartoon trope of like something that's like cute though. <laughs> yeah, it is really cute. I was like, oh my first apples teacher. Like, <laughs> so cute. I didn't I got really excited about it. <laughs> Even though I had apples in my refrigerator, but you know. <laughs> I love that. Well, and you bring up a good point too, because like this year, the, you know, you hear like clear the list initiatives and stuff and people do what mm-hmm. they can in, you know, July and August, but per the disposable stuff that needs replenish, we almost need to like do a replenish the list probably soon. And like, yeah. I need to make a new spreadsheet. Well, because it's like people talk about that stuff at the beginning of the year, but it's, I mean, stuff runs out and I, I cannot believe teachers are on the hook for using their own income on their classroom. Like it, my sister used to spend a fortune decorating and stuff. And it, mm-hmm. and those things matter, especially with little kids like that, the environment, the ambiance, and in this case, germs and safety. It's like, are you kidding? Yeah. Like the Lysol yeah. wipes? I can't. Yeah. And I know teachers are probably just exhausted at the end of the day, the amount that we're having to clean, um, you know, uh, before I left Baton Rouge, they were asking us to clean like every hour. And I was like, so you need me to teach 25 students, but also clean every hour, like the entire classroom. Like when am I going to find time to do that? Like that, that's just insane. So I know teachers are probably going through all of those supplies like crazy this year. So yeah, a replenish the, the list would be a great idea. Okay. How did you get started on the blog on kind of being more present on Instagram and all that and when? So I started it in early 2019. Um, just as you know, I, my main reason for starting it was because I just wanted to see more people who looked like myself represented mm-hmm. in the influencer realm. I didn't know if I was ever going to, you know, make it to that level or even have people care about what I was going to say or what I was wearing. But I was just like, you know, let me try this out. And I had people encourage me to do it before. Um, Actually, when I was living in Uganda, someone was like, you know, you should make a a blog for missionaries and tell them what to wear. And I was like, that's the last thing on my list that I ever want to do. Like I'm already so uncool. I don't want to do that. Like I need some kind of street cred still. Um, (laughs) It's it's like so specific. It would be like very hard to carry that. Well, yeah. And I guess, and the dress code really isn't that much difference. I think they're a little bit more like modest and, dressers there but at the same time like I I don't know I'm like it's it really isn't that much of a difference and you know the Americans kind of stick out like a sore thumb because we're in these like long maxi skirts from Old Navy and the Ugandans actually look really cute and fashionable so um so I had (laughs) I had people there tell me that and then parents actually from my schools would be like I love what you wear you need to share this and I don't think I had the confidence to do that until, well, I don't know. It just kind of like all came together and I was like, I guess I could do this. Like I I don't need to be afraid of anything. Like I'm just sharing outfits. Um, And, you know, I did have that mentality of like, so-and-so can do it. I can do it. And then I realized, okay, this is a little bit more difficult than I thought it was (laughs) with the consistency aspect. But um, so yeah, I got started and just, 
started sharing my style, but then it kind of transferred into something else when I realized I'm a lot more than just what I'm wearing and what I feel passionate about, passionate about, like I, I enjoy clothes. I love creating outfits. Um, and that's kind of what I want to get back more into is like the creative side of a style influencer um, that I loved when it all first began. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I just see like I have a voice and I have so many things that I'm passionate about and I have a very interesting perspective on things um, because of my background and how I grew up and the color of my skin. And that's what I want to be sharing about. Um, and if, you know, the clothes kind of draw people in, that's great, but I hope they stay for something a little bit more deeper. Absolutely. And and I was telling you earlier, like one of the things I love about you that I think not enough people do, but there are yeah. no lanes. Things are, these are constructs that are absolutely made up that only, uh, you know, oversimplify women's interests. And mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about you is like, you'll talk about, um, how you hate loop giveaways in one breath <laughs> or like, you know, you'll post a cute outfit, but then you'll be like, and this is how Jesus showed up for mar- marginalized people. And I'm like, <laughs> I, and that's what that type of range I love. Cause these things are all important to you. And people focus so much on like building a brand and building an aesthetic when it's like the, the things will land if you are naturally interested in them because you'll approach them in a way that's organic and that is sincere. And I love the way you, it's it's to me I'm I kind of think it's interesting I don't know what whether you would see it like this but I think you teach so much on your stories and maybe you don't realize it but like I've I learn a lot listening to you and you break things down in ways that I'm just like oh shit I never thought of that you've really just taken on like a, a leadership role with social justice and activism and Black Lives Matter and what has that kind of shift been like for you I think I started it a little bit before this summer. Um... I think my first big thing actually was the protest against masks. And, you know, that's when, and I also was leaving Baton Rouge and I had a lot of my old parents following me from my students. And I was like, okay, now I don't work at the same school as y'all. So now I'm going to be really open about (laughs) my beliefs and where my stance is. Um, (laughs) I kind of compared myself to Taylor Swift. I was like, you know, we all have our times to <laughs> start talking about our beliefs, and this is my time. Um, the old, the old Carmen can't come to the phone right now. <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, I just realized it, it just made me so frustrated. I was like, can people not clearly see like what's going on? Why these people are protesting? It was like the day after the numbers had come out that you know. Um, more like inner city neighborhoods were being hit or affected or the elderly. And I'm like, this is so wrong. And, you know, I kind of just like started sharing my opinions. I actually got torn apart because of that. I had so many rude DMs because unfortunately it was all people who had never heard my opinion on these things. Um, About masks in this specific context? Yes. Well, and I was saying like, it's, it's almost racist why they are protesting because they're like, they're going out and protesting because it's not affecting them and they don't care. And the way that they were treating these police officers who were trying to tell them to like, stay out of park, stay home. And, 
you know, they're just trying to do their jobs. And it was a, it was a whole thing. Um, and it was kind of my first step into it. And maybe I took a, a bigger dive than I expected, but I, and people were maybe just weren't expecting it from me. And, but these have always been my beliefs and people who are truly close to me, like know how I feel about things and how uh, vocal I can be. Um, and I just got a lot of terrible DMs and I was like, Oh my gosh, the people in my life are, are, borderline races. I don't know. I don't know what to call them, but they need a lot of help. And that kind of, again, propelled me to say like, I have this knowledge that I've been accumulating over the years of my life. And now as an adult, I've been doing the research and reading and understanding how I can plainly explain these things that I've always felt. Um, And so I, now is the time I need to do it. And then of course, after all the mass stuff happened, the um, shooting of Ahmaud Arbery happened. And then I kept on being vocal and um, just stating my opinion and just expressing pain because I think that's what people need to see. Like, it's not, I know everyone is sharing the memes, like it's not political, it's human rights. And, but that is what it is. You know, it's, it's the pain we feel because when we see someone who looks like us get murdered in that way, it reminds us of the people we love. You know, I think about my fiance who goes running with our dog in our neighborhood. And um, I think about, you know, my uncles and my dad and my cousins and my friends. And so I'm just like, I can't, I couldn't, I could not talk about it. Um, But I also think I'm just the person who has always been vocal. Like I said, I always stood up to teachers in high school and, My parents just kind of raised me to stand up for what I believed in, but I also realized that I needed to do it in a way where I came across a certain way and I needed to understand, um, you know, how to say these things because I just, I realized that without the facts and without, you know, just basing it on feelings isn't enough for people, I guess, (laughs) for some reason, um, but anyway, I feel like I kind of ranted there. Uh, no, that was no. That's exactly what I was uh, curious about because there is tremendous responsibility with the platform, mm-hmm. but also you shouldn't. I mean, be on the hook for having to report out facts and figures and everything. And you think of things the way you deliver information is kind of like from the standpoint of a teacher because it's people just go on and ramble and like that's that. But the fact that you even like frame it, think about it, try to get it to cut through to people is is important because a lot of things get delivered the same ways and fall on deaf ears. And um, I think that sometimes people's followers, like they live in homogenous environments. Like mm-hmm. what if you're the their only black friend they talk to today? And by talk to, they watched your Instagram story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I, and I know that sounds weird, but I think sometimes people really, uh, when you diversify your feed and what you consume online, there's a huge opportunity to fill the white space of the things you're not learning in your day-to-day from the people in your immediate reference group. Exactly. Exactly. And that's something I just started thinking about, you know, I, because I'm trying to put myself in the position of somebody who is new to being, um, you know, fighting against racism. And so I'm like, if I was new to this fight, if I had, you know, 2020 just had my eyes opened to everything going on in the world, 
you know, I've kind of gotten past the like, oh, you're just now finding this out. You know, I had my right. anger stage about that. Like, come on. <laughs> I can't believe this is right. just happening. Um, but now I'm like, okay, so what could I help them with? What do they need to know? And I guess you're right. Like, I, I didn't really see myself as being a teacher. I do know that people, the DMs that I receive are people coming to my stories because they're like, I learned so much from you. And I'm like, I'm just sharing things that I learned. And my the things that I'm sharing are usually things like specific to my life, but on a broader scale. So when I'm talking about like the school to prison pipeline, I'm seeing how I was treated, how my fiance was treated in school as, you know, some of the only black students in like AP classes or gifted classes and how that affected us, you know, we both came from great families with, you know, two income households and we still were affected by racism. And so I'm just like, how can I help people see the things that happen in my life, but how it's happening to multiple people, how it's happening all over America, how it's still happening. And then the small ways. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy I can have that impact. It's really difficult sometimes because now I'm like, oh, I held myself up to such a high standard because people come to me to learn and um, to be educated. Like the other day I went to Hobby Lobby because the parent gave me a gift card and I was like, I'm going to use this thing. And I got DM saying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're at Hobby Lobby. And I was like, well, I also didn't know what they had just done, but at the same time, I was like, y'all just... I'm a teacher and it's during COVID and I know what I said. I said what I said, but yeah, like have me some slack this one time and then I'll get back on my high horse. I promise. (laughs) Well, and it's like, you want them to pocket that income without me taking product. I need to (laughs) net to zero here, not to make extra. Um, (laughs) No, that, and I always like to ask people about those things, whether it's, like the moment you decided to stop saying like, well, why should I have a blog or a platform or the moment, you know, the first moments you get really harsh, cruel DMs, like Mm -hmm. these moments are weird and they, they're not relatable to most people in your life. And it's such a fascinating feeling um, when like, I just, I just feel like I'm not a person in my regular life that pisses people off. I dodge conflict pretty well. Like I'm not always getting in fights with friends or family. <laughs> I, I kind of just chill. Um, so when people come at me hard on Instagram, like it, it really rocks me and it, it, I try to not worry about it, but the first few times it happens when you're just trying to like live or you think you're talking about something uncontroversial, like human rights, yeah. the, the fiction people will write to try to defend themselves and it then becomes a thing of like, do I take, yeah, do you take, do you take the energy and respond? Do you, do you let it go? I, I think that it's a fascinating thing on the other side of DMs right now for mm-hmm. people that are especially newish to talking about politics or social issues. People are just, they won't unfollow you, but they'll give you a piece of their mind. <laughs> yes, they will. And <laughs> yes, in the first like few DMs that I got, where people were speaking to me harshly or just like completely trying to nullify what I was saying and to discredit my experience and my uh, my knowledge. I couldn't stop thinking about it probably for weeks on end. And, um, you know, like I 
one specific instance stands out to me where I had, you know, my childhood best friend, someone who I had grown up with, I had traveled overseas with, with her family, you know, write me a DM about how we kind of just have to get over slavery and um, <laughs> just like how we just need to move on. And, and it, it, I mean, it was, there were so many things wrong with it. Um, and I was just, my, you know, my heart was crushed. I was like, this is someone who I've known my entire life who doesn't understand what, first of all, anything about me, obviously, because they don't know me well enough to know what I've experienced, but also just what people are going through. Um, it's yeah. It, and it, that probably sat with me for a long time because I knew that person um, well, but other ones that I've gotten, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, what are these people going to start, you know, coming at me all the time? Like, do I need to block them? Should I even respond? Um, and when I first started sharing, people would just, you know, come into my DMS asking a lot of questions. And now I've kind of realized, okay, I don't need to answer every question. It's not my job to educate about <laughs> what redlining is or what the Jim Crow laws were <laughs> like, I think that's for Google. That's, oh my gosh. That's not my job. I used to like copy and paste articles and send them, but I'm like, that is really gracious, but I can't do that anymore. And I feel so mean, but no, it is not mean. <laughs> I always think it's important for people to know that th nobody is void from that criticism. And that's just something you have to get past if you want to talk about what you care about. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that it's at least it's been interesting for me to watch because I definitely I try to stay to more of like an escapist medium that like sprinkles in things I'm naturally thinking about that day with that align with my beliefs uh and when people reach out and don't agree I don't really care but I see a lot of influencers that kind of started to get more active but then when people are selective and respond poorly they're kind of like feel burned for the vulnerability and then won't do it again. Yeah. And that's why I think it's kind of important to talk like every, anybody who is standing up for something is getting pushback in any format. And if you are, it doesn't mean you should stop talking about it. it it's just normal. And like, it's, un, it's unfortunate, but like you have to kind of weather the discomfort and to your point about your friend, the worst feeling is like, Oh, stop talking. I, I don't want to not like you. Like I don't, <laughs> Because you're yeah. kind of like, how have we, how can you, the the fact that you can know people so well and have never somehow had like the bigger conversations is a really interesting phenomenon to me. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think that's, there, there's this reckoning that happened. I call June like the reckoning month because I have never gotten so many random people from high school, from college, from my time in Uganda, like reaching out to me and saying like, have I done something to offend you ever before in the past? And I'm like, this is not the time to do that. Like if you had done, hopefully done something to me, hopefully I would have talked to you about it then. Um, but right now is, you know, I rather much rather you just become more aware of yourself. And if you have prejudices or if you have, you know, beliefs that maybe don't align with, an anti-racist belief system and maybe just take a look at yourself. Like maybe that's why you're asking me these questions and I can't respond to everybody and tell you if you're racist or not. Cause I feel like that's what the questions were kind of asking me. Um, that's yeah. so interesting. So you were like inundated 
with messages and followers and like people kind of from your past, new people that all just kind of, it's like almost wanted to reach out, but like didn't like, I not that it wasn't specific, but mm -hmm. I just think that's kind of an interesting phenomenon or thing to experience where pe it's like people probably mean well, but it kind of illustrates the problem. Yeah. And like the fact that you feel like you need to ask me maybe shows a bigger problem here <laughs> than, than um, the racism that's going on in our world. And I'll tell you one thing. So I talk a lot about Uganda because I was, um, you know, the only African-American black missionary there or volunteer worker um, there. And everyone else around me were either white Americans or white Europeans. Um, and then all of our Ugandan staff and Ugandan friends. And the first week that I was there, I went with my boss there and his family to this like Bible study that they had. And it was a whole bunch of white couples from America. and. I realized immediately they had never been around someone who was black from America. They were asking me questions about my family. Um, they were asking me if I was originally from Africa. And I was like, I'm from Louisiana. <laughs> I'm not from Africa. Um, and I was just like, why did they come here if they don't know anything about black people in America? How do they expect to connect with black people halfway around the world. Um, it's just crazy to me. And I had somebody reach out to me from that group and they were like, have I ever done anything? And I was like, you know, I, I there's no specific incident, but you know, I did feel uncomfortable this time when people were talking about me and my family and how my dad is a very light skinned black man and how um, this sounds terrible, but Oh, is he actually your father because he's so light skinned and you're you're are darker complected? And I was just like, have you not seen how families work sometimes? Sometimes you get the mother's complexion or the father's complexion. And I was like, that was that was really offensive. And you know, I've gotten past it, so I'm not dwelling on it. And they're like, oh, well, we remember who said that to you. And that person is just crazy. And they started making excuses for that person. And I'm like, this is why I didn't speak up at that time, because you were going to make excuses anyway. And now it's three years later, four years later, and you're still making excuses. So it was this weird thing of people reaching out to me and wanting to know. But if I did say something, the excuses would start to roll in. So I'm like, do you really want to know or do you want to clear your conscience? Um, but also about what you were saying with influencers starting to speak up about their, their passions and about social justice. I think it becomes really hard when you don't know the reason why you're speaking out about it. And I think that's when you start doubting yourself and when you take a few steps backwards. And I think people initially have this huge surge of emotions and, that's what was happening back in June and July. Like, oh my goodness, like we have to stop this. But they didn't really quite understand the depth of it or their relation to it. And um, maybe just didn't under quite understand why they wanted to um, talk about these things. And so I think when you do get pushback, if you're even a little bit fragile in your beliefs about it, then you stop talking about it.
which I understand, but it's like, okay, if you're going to start talking about it, remain consistent because mm. we need people who are consistent. Yeah. Cause you, you've been vocal about, you know, the concept of performative activism and how, when it's uh, when people are getting called out and when it's popular, the volume's yeah. there and it, and it tapers off. And I think the, the entire point is like, you're more aware of the role race plays in your life. You educate yourself the most you, as much as you can diversify your environment. And these things organically shift your viewpoint. You organically incorporate more diversity into everything around you. Like the hope is it naturally disseminates in a way where it isn't a focal point, but it has Mm -hmm. to be the focal point to offset the inequities. And I think that people were very reliant on listening and learning and it was kind of cliche. And here's the thing. I am like the, I have so far to go. And I had one of those surges of emotions too, where I was like, holy shit, if I were a black listener of mine and, and you were unsure where I stood, it, the thought crushed me. I should be embarrassed though. And what do you wish people were sharing right now? What small efforts do you think make the biggest difference? If, if people, not that they don't know what to share, but I think sometimes it, if you share what other people are and if it collectively drops off, people do, even if they shouldn't. Yeah, I think it's important. I know like Grace Atwood is really good with this to share what you're learning or like you said, to share yeah. your personal evolution. Like, and I think that's what I'm sharing too. It's okay. When I was younger, I just didn't know why these things were happening to me. But now that I'm a, an adult, I'm going to share about them. And this is, I'm sharing my life experiences and I think when like Grace does it and she's like, Oh, actually I'm going to correct myself because I just learned this thing this week. And, you know, I said this in the past week in my stories and I want to correct myself and talk about it. And you can tell that she's somebody who wants to do better and is not just there to, to show that she's doing better. Um, I think that's most important. And when someone, when something like hits a nerve or, when something impacts you and if you find out new information, I think that's when you should share it. Um, and that's what I've been really inspired by when people are talking to me, they're like, I never knew this. And I'm like, I know it's crazy and it's happening and just talk about it. And people are like, I'm trying to understand and find the words on how to do it. And I totally understand that as well, because it does feel really intimidating, especially if you're not like doing Instagram or anything as an influencer and you're just talking about it in your day-to-day life, like people in your life are going to call you out because you've changed your opinion. And for some reason you can't change your opinion on things anymore. Um, But I just, I find the sharing of information of something that makes an impact on you. Um, And because I think that's when you really project um, authenticity and that you care when it's something that you actually really do care about and are interested in. So that's what I would say. (laughs) No, I, that's like such, um, it's such good advice because the, the, it's kind of the antithesis of the concept of performative, right? It's like actually care. And when you (laughs) actually care, share it when you feel so inclined, but overly thinking about it strategically is kind of the performance of it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, it's, I know it was so hard for people because it's like, okay, everybody's doing this. 
And now I feel like I need to do it, but maybe my heart's not really into it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then they have to turn off their comments because people are calling them out about it. And uh, I just think authenticity is, is what people are looking for and what people need. And um, I also talk a lot about like my mental health journey and what's helped me so much is just being vulnerable and talking about how I'm feeling and talking about things that make me uncomfortable, but I know need to be talked about because things aren't going to change if you don't talk about those uncomfortable things. And I think talking about race, you know, it's the thing people say not to talk about (laughs) and we have to start talking about it and it makes people really uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable sometimes, but um, I think with, with change, like if we want to change, then we need to start addressing it and just addressing like how we've also changed in our way of thinking. I think that's really hard for people because no one wants to be labeled um, the R word (laughs) races, but it's like, I actually used to think this way. Um, You know, I've had people tell me they're like, I used to think like, Black people were the only people who were poor. And I did think less of them because of how my parents would talk about them. And now that I'm an adult, I've changed my way of thinking. And But I'm still having to get over those foundational ways of thinking that I was taught as a child. And I think that's okay to say that and to say, but I'm changing and I'm trying mm-hmm. to change and I'm following people who are going to help me change. Um, because I think Instagram is a huge influence in everybody's life. Like follow people who are going to help you change and do better. Um, if this is something that you actually want to do. No, I agree with you. And I love your insight because I think that these things like kind of need to be talked about at a higher level as it relates to influence and, and just even your experience kind of like figuring that out because I'll talk about on the podcast, I kind of almost came to an epiphany through talking so much that taboo topics like religion or, you know, finances or race or politics, like I am just so convinced that society has been set up this way to keep people quiet. So it doesn't. I think Emily Post is like this underground operation to prioritize politeness over truth. Oh my gosh. And I, and I, the first, you know, and so every week I kind of throughout the past three years have like pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. And like some day, some episodes I'll go like literally scream into a pillow, but I don't know. It's, it's like small things like saying how fucked up it is. The when school dress codes that were taking women away from their education to prevent the male gaze. It's like, these things are small and I could sound like I'm nitpicking, but why? I I don't know. It's like these small things that I'm like, I have a pop culture podcast and I know this isn't really pop culture, but also it's not, not like these, these portrayals of women are everywhere. And yeah. And there um, was not a woman listening who didn't relate to that. I Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember being upset about it. I called my dad and I was like, remember this time that that happened to me? I just listened to this podcast about it. (laughs) Well, and I was reading, um, and this is kind of an example of like something that's embarrassing, but like doing that podcast, 
last year, I probably wouldn't have thought to separate out like how does this affect women of color differently than white women? But like, Mm -hmm. those are the questions I'm trying to ask myself. And then when you read about dress codes and women of color and how disproportionately enforced they are, it is so, so upsetting. Did you, you said you got in trouble? Yeah, I got in trouble probably, it was in high school or middle school, but it was definitely like for cleavage. And I was like, I I just don't know what you want me to do. Like (laughs) I'm trying to hide it, but it happens in this way that makes you so ashamed of who you are and your body and just how your body is changing during that time. And like you said, I'm also tall. And so that I just stopped wearing shorts or skirts. So I was like, I can't even go down that line. Um, But, you know, maybe (laughs) that helped me for my former missionary career blogger. I was going (laughs) to say, and that is where my relationship with old Navy maxi skirts began. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. The cleavage of it all is, I can't, I mean, my sister and I like, it is oh, uncomfortable God. when you're not an asexual being with large breasts and people are making you seem like sex on a stick. And you're like, I'm just existing. My body yeah. is shaped at this way. And like, I, it, I, it makes me rage all day, but yeah. I need to. And the things people think they can tell you is just ridiculous. And the way people talk to you, I, I just, and that's what I also say about race. I'm like, I feel like women can really relate to how a black person is feeling because women have been talked to in the craziest ways for most of our lives. We've been belittled. We've been looked down upon. And that's also what a black person is experiencing, but in a different way because of the color of their skin, but also added on to all of these other things that have happened to black people in the history of our country, at least. So I'm like, it's, it should to me be really easily t- to relate to because it, it happens to people. And I don't think anyone's gone through life without experiencing um, someone assuming something about them because of the way that they look. So. Oh, um, absolutely. And, and I feel dense too, because sometimes it takes those scenarios and framing it that way for me to even understand it. Uh more deeply uh like even um getting you know sent a mansplaining email and asking a handful of men what they thought of this email and they were like what like (laughs) they're trying to get to know you i had 500 dms of women that were like all caps screaming and i'm like this is fascinating how we're reading and looking at the same thing and like that's where i'm dense it's like that yeah this is the entire point of anytime anybody feels marginalized for a particular reason and people try to tell them it's not real, it's because they can't see it and they can't see it because they don't experience it. And anytime you can frame that in a small way to yourself, I think it opens up your, your way of thinking so much just in terms of feeling the, the frustration and rage you feel when somebody is like, it's not Casper. Like it's, you don't have to see it to believe it. Like it's, it's like, you are at a loss for words, angry, frustrated. And like, I don't know, I I try to take from those situations, like, wow, I I was so mad. I did the three hour episode on it. Like (laughs) depending on where you are in power dynamics and whether it's a microaggression for being a woman of color or having a disability or being a woman, it's like most people are in vulnerable situations where they just have to stay quiet. And that, that's what kills me. Yeah. And I think it's 
it's so interesting now, like as you're saying that, like you get to talk into a mic and you get to express all these things. And I can't imagine the amount of people who reach out to you who feel the same way that you do. Um, And I think that's like what I'm doing on Instagram. I'm like, this is kind of like a therapy session to me. I'm talking about my experiences and what's hurt me and the pain I felt. And I just lost my train of thought, but (laughs) just... Yeah. With content, you were saying like you like it's kind of almost like a diary therapy situation where instead of strategically picking topics, I just like see what's happening that week and talk about it ad nauseum. But it's a luxury to be able to vent. And a lot of people don't get to. Yeah. And I think that's what is so interesting, like about our generation is that we have these outlets that people before us didn't have. And why I think this social justice movement, this civil rights movement is hopefully different than and has different outcomes or better outcomes or more long-term outcomes than ones in the past is because we have voices now. We are allowed to use our voice. And it almost felt like, I know people have been doing, people in the Black community have been doing this work for so many years, but I know for me and for a lot of my peers, it felt like And during the summer, it was like, you have permission to talk about all these things you've been holding in. You know, you can talk about code switching. You can talk about um, the racism you felt in school. You can talk about how, you know, you didn't get a job because of the color of your skin. And it's like, and now people will actually believe you when you talk about it. So go for it. And I'm like, okay, this is this excites me and it gives me hope because I'm like, we haven't had this kind of platform before just as a community. And, you know, I think people are, a lot of people are doing the, it the right way and using their voice and, um, you know, just the freedom that we have to talk about what we're talking about. And a lot of white voices and white ears are listening and learning. And I just, I just, think this is a huge thing of change that's happening. And I can sometimes get discouraged when I get DMs from people who are still living, you know, in the 19th century. But um, I see a lot of like glimmers of change and things that um, show me that it's different this time, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I hope so too. And I, it's so interesting too, to hear how much thought and, and responsibility you take in it. All, all the while, you're doing this for free. <laughs> and you care yeah. what people, how people talk to you. Like, you care about the DMs. You care about the feedback. You think about how to position things. And it, it is so interesting when you, when you, this is why I find micro-influence fascinating. Because, like, all the stuff you do on the side to entertain and educate people is all just out of like the goodness of your own heart and it often builds to something or you'll have intermittent deals or whatever. But isn't it kind of funny when you think about how committed you are to the consistency, despite owing nothing to nobody. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, like, that's why, how I feel at least. <laughs> why have I set up my own little um, classroom here as you called it? And I feel like I'm like, you know what? I've been thinking about um, the birth rate of black children. And I need to share about this being, uh, and I'm like, but why, you know, and I, I do understand its importance, but yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And my, the people who follow me and who have chosen to be a part of what I'm doing are really amazing. And 
they're always like, so how can we support you? And I'm like, you know, I'm working on that. I don't really know how yet, but um, they are just seeing the effort that I'm putting in and um, it doesn't go unnoticed. So I appreciate that definitely. But I, as I said, again, I think it's also a form of therapy. Like I'm finally able to share all of these things that I've been feeling. And now I'm also learning and it, and it's kind of crazy because I know a lot of people, black people have said this, we're learning about our own history. Um, and you have to actively seek out things about our own history. And once you learn those things, it's like, Oh, this is why this has been happening. And you connect the dots and you have all these small epiphanies and you want to share about them. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I, 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 I love your perspective so much. And I think that you like, I, I don't know, not to sound like I hate when people say things like I'm a really good judge of character. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> What, what does that even mean? But I, I can tell like, who's got it. Like I, I can tell who's like content wise, like when people are phoning it and trying to make it look like other people's and when people are just like, this is me, my a version of me online, take it or leave it. Yeah. And I think you've got something special and you're talented and yeah. If, and when you figure out the best way to support you beyond following you and you're reading your blog, obviously, please tell yeah. me cause I'll support the hell out of it, but it takes a while and it takes I kind of still don't even know, like it takes a while to figure out like a monetization strategy or how to translate what you're doing into something meaningful because it's not a business model. It's yeah, it's yeah. A <laughs> industry is stories themselves came out in what, 2017, 2018. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just, um, it's, it's not easy to figure that out. So by, don't put pressure on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know when I first started, I kind of did feel pressure to like, you know, get some knee high boots and, you know, get a big oversized sweater and, uh, you know, a fashion hat and just kind of look like everybody else was looking. And then I was like, that's exactly the opposite reason of why I started this. So I just need to be a hundred percent myself and share what I'm interested in because 10 years down the road, if I'm still doing this, I don't want to suddenly start sharing about Black Lives Matter. And people are like, we didn't follow you for this. I think that's what a lot of people are feeling right now. And because they're like, oh, yeah, I've been wanting to talk about this. But I thought you only wanted this part of me. And um, I think more and more influencers are realizing their audiences would love to know about their beliefs and how who, who they donate to. And um what charities they give to and this other side of them, because we do look up to influencers, whether it's right or wrong. And maybe we give them too much of a platform in our own heads, but I think it's no, totally. I absolutely agree. Well, and I think, I feel like you're into, you like have been following bloggers forever. Like I have. Oh yeah. (laughs) I took a, I took a little hiatus and then I was like, wait, I forgot about all these people I used to follow. And I think back in like 2016, when I moved back to the States and I started following people again and I was like, Oh my gosh, Rachel Parcell has all these kids now. And the daybook blog doesn't blog anymore. Really? Like she's just doing her own little thing. And (laughs) <laughs> what happened to the glitter clock guide that I used to love and design sponge? <laughs> design sponge. Yeah. This is, these were my like friends in the early 2010s. And so yeah. many of them do change or drop off. Yeah. Uh, we have, we talked about the day book, you know, guys, and we're about to venture into territory that 
it makes me feel calm. Uh, bloggers, Meghan Markle and the like. And I want you to feel calm too. 2020 has been a lot. Uh, we could all benefit from less stress and more sleep in our lives. And it's so important to take care of ourselves and invest in our well-being during times of anxiety. I am so excited to partner with Calm, the app designed to help you ease stress and get the best sleep of your life. And when you relieve anxiety and improve sleep, you feel better in every part of your life. And, you know, I know a lot of people, and I don't know how to feel about this, um, like to tell me that they fall asleep to me talking. You know, you can also fall asleep, to based on um, Calm's library of sleep stories. Did I just say library? <laughs> I need more sleep. Calm has a whole library of sleep stories narrated by soothing voices like Stephen Fry, Kelly Rowland, Laura Dern, and Harry Styles. We need to support Harry Styles more, now more than ever. Over 85 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds and get better sleep. And if you go to calm.com slash be there in five, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off of a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming. Guys, I listen to Rain. I listen to Thunder. I listen to Harry Styles. I, all I want in this life is as a soundscape, a sound bath to be immersed in another land to drown out my thoughts. And I can't even tell you how much I love this app. Their advertising was so incredibly strong and important during the election, too, and uh, often came on after my king, Steve Kornacki, in his khakis, Map Daddy, was on. Um, and we just, we love Calm. So for listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited-time promotion of a of 40% off of a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash be there in five. That's 40% off of unlimited access to Calm's entire library, and new content is added every week. Get started today at calm.com slash be there in five. That's calm.com slash be there in five. Okay, last ad. I feel like the vibes today are cozy with the advertisers. Uh, the last company I want you to get cozy with this fall that has comfortable, washable, and sustainable shoes and bags is Rothy's. Eco-friendly materials are repurposed like plastic water bottles and marine plastic and made into these seamlessly knit-to-shape shoes that are so comfortable at a zero break-in period and they're the perfect pair with any cold weather adventure. Whether you're a big city gal going to a small town to court the local farmhand or a big city gal staying in her big city apartment against her well because of quarantine, you can still kick it in Rothy's shoes. I have the Chelsea booty in black, uh, I mean in leopard actually, which I love very much, but I'm eyeing a black pair as we speak. And uh, the most popular, well, the best-selling shoe they have is called The Point in Black. It has over 3,000 near-perfect reviews. So the newest Rothy styles include brand-new bags, masks, and the return of their best-selling merino wool shoes made from a blend of their signature sustainable thread and their softest material ever. So what, like I said, the craziest thing about Rothy's is the zero break-in period. Health Magazine said they're the most comfortable shoes on earth, and Vogue calls Rothy's a personal obsession. That's not Teen Vogue Whitney Port, this is Vogue Vogue calling Rothy's a personal obsession. They have transformed over 65 million bottles, plastic water bottles, into beautiful products. And they're fully machine washable. And every time they need to refresh, you just simply toss them in the washing machine. From start to finish, Rothy's prioritizes sustainability and manufacturing every step of the way. So if you want to check out all the amazing shoes and bags, don't forget about the bags too. Available right now at rothys.com slash be there in five. You should. That's rothys.com, R-O. T-H-Y-S dot com slash be there in five. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash be there in five today. And that's it for ads. Now we'll finish out the episode. God love you. I don't know. I haven't talked to you about it, but I used to, I thought she was like everything. Our bodies are completely different. I don't like anything queen like her. You what? <laughs> the queen of Pinterest. She took the cutest, breeziest photos and had very cheap, like affordable clothing. 
Yes. Yeah. And that's kind of what I miss about everything. Like people were, I think you've said this before, people were really creative with their outfits. It was like putting together what you already had and maybe buying like one new piece a month and incorporating into your clothing um, routine. And now it's like, no, I'm going to show you all these try-ons and feel like you need to go get all these things if you want to look like me. And if there's not an affiliate link, it, (laughs) It no one shows it, and the the shift is almost funny to me because like last night I wore a camel like I I'll buy wool blazers from places like Banana or J Crew in a tall, and I'll wear them as coats, and um then and I have a few of them that I'll wear sometimes, and I I got bombarded with messages about this coat I was wearing. They were like, "Could you please do a swipe up? Please do a swipe up," and I'm like. I'm a normal human being, and this is from 2015. Like. (laughs) I, almost the default assumption that I was wearing something new I thought was weird because yeah. normal people wear the clothes they have and they're not always for sale. Exactly. And I don't know if I want to have to always feel like I need to buy something new. The people who have that income who are asking for swipe ups, I'm like, tell me what you're doing. Cause <laughs> how are you always buying new things? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, it, I am obsessed with gauging the changes in people's socioeconomic status from their Instagram behavior. <laughs> a candle all of a sudden is $150. And I'm like, that is disposable income. I don't understand. Like, that's just ridiculous. Yes. I have been liking these headbands. I forgot the company's name, but they're the, you know, the headbands with the pearls all on them. Lili and- Sadogi. Yes. Yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so beautiful. Let me go see how much they are. And it's like $150. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to buy those. They're amazing and they're beautiful. And then I'll have a follower like message me and they're like, I have two. And if you want me to send you one, I can. And I'm like, what? That's so sweet. dollars on a headband and you want to spend <laughs> even more on the one? I'm like, okay, yeah. And keep on following me, please. <laughs> but- right. That's sweet. I love how mm-hmm. people can be really generous and kind too. And like I love stuff like that, but yeah, yeah and the, the headband craze too. I was wearing one earlier, and I'm like, it it gives it, it reminds me of being like in second grade and having a headband headache. And I'm like, why did I just pay 150 dollars for this headache? Yeah. They're like kind of right. Behind <laughs> yeah, this doesn't work for me. Um, but the other thing you kind of are very socially conscious about too is like. Um, conspicuous consumption almost like you'll do months where you won't buy new stuff right yeah I and I'm usually able to do that in the fall for some reason maybe because it doesn't get as cold down here um but yeah I've tried you know I started following what Kate finds and I love her yeah she's great and people that she follows and she's really taught me a lot and um I think she did like was it the five a month or challenge where she only bought? Yes. Yes. She yeah. went, it was five. It was a handful of pieces that she repurposed in a fascinating way. Yes. Yeah. I, I was just so impressed. Style. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm just the type of person who I'm like, what ways can I do better in life? And what, in what ways can I be better? And I was just like the amount of, clothing that I had. And um, I just did it personally, because I felt myself get into that loop of like, always wanting the next new thing. And I'm like, that's not the person that I want to be. 
And so how can I <laughs> kind of stop doing that? And I cut myself off cold turkey and I was like, I'm not buying anything for the rest of the year from October to January, except for Christmas presents. And it was interesting because I mean, fall clothing is just so cute and it's the best season to dress for, but, um, but yeah, I, I try to, I try to let people know, like, you don't always need something new. Right. <laughs> um, you have so much available to you. Like it's a way to express creativity with re-rearing the same thing. Like you don't, we're not celebrities. Like we're not going to be seen in <laughs> one outfit and then you have to give it away. Um, and just yes. having that mindset where you just don't always have to feel like you need to do something better with your appearance. Um, and that's yeah. like what I'm, what I'm going through with is like, I prepare for my wedding next year. I'm like reading articles about brides and all the things that they go through. And I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm like, I was just going to, you know, get my makeup and hair done, but these people are having facials and they're going for treatment six months out. And <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, I, I bride culture is so, I, that was my next question. Okay. So you technically, you got engaged last year, but you were supposed mm-hmm. to get married this year. We were going to get married. Yeah. 10, 10, 2020, the same as uh, Kelly from Real Housewives of OC. And I'm so happy we're not. Um, Wait, Kelly Dodd? Is she getting, is that her wedding day? Yeah, I think she's getting married. Can they just let her go? She is, she's, she's been problematic beautiful. since day one. And and if you guys aren't familiar, this week she was wearing a drunk wives matter hat from Etsy. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. just like, how and far so- can you excuse this behavior? And I guess their conundrum is they've already taped the season. Sometimes I want a housewife off the show just because I'm like, I just don't like them. But for her, I'm like, she's harmful. The things that she says, the way she treats people, the her um, reasoning for wearing the hat. Oh, it was a gift. But, you know, in the background, then she said quietly, all lives matter. And I'm like, you know what? Like, you're you're dumb. <laughs> and we don't want to see you on our screens. Right. Yeah. It, you can't give this a platform. It, it's just... I don't know. The responsibility starts there. And I think that like what's becoming hard for like programs like that. And I know you love reality TV too, is like, we, we like, it's like, we don't always, we don't need our housewives to be like sterling examples of citizens. We need them to be like a little kooky to be entertaining, but we don't want them to be like hateful, problematic, racist. Like there's lines you draw from like (laughs) wacky behavior versus like, giving somebody a platform saying shit like all lives matter. And I I just wish the, those lines would be drawn a little bit more cleanly sometimes. But the other thing I want to make sure I ask you about, uh, mm-hmm. and I know I kept you on for too long, but I love talking to you is we're both uh diehard Meghan Markle fans. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love MM. <laughs> how have, how have you felt watching this exodus from the Royal family? Oh my gosh. I, I feel so many things as a close friend of hers. Um, <laughs> you, Gloria Steinem, <laughs> Megan Marcos. Yeah, we had great conversations. Um, I, okay. Well, part of me is just like kind of cringing because I'm like, Oh, you could have done this so much better. And, uh, but I also don't know what's going on on the other side. Like I feel like if I had all, all these things happen to me, I would probably want to make a quick quick exit too. And I wouldn't care about the repercussions. I would just want to leave. And I have actually done that in situations where I'm just like, I just have to get out of this circumstance and I don't care what happens. But I feel like I'm actually, 
I became a fan because I was like, oh, this girl, she's going to have a hard life. <laughs> like, I just knew it. I'm like, she is a black woman marrying the crown, one of the crown jewels of England. And it's just, it, I just knew what was going to happen, you know? Um, and there was like a high point where she had like the all black choir at her wedding. And we were like hopeful and we we're like, okay, maybe England is like changing their understanding the new culture and their understanding and embracing diversity. And then it was like, okay, I know they're not <laughs> clearly they're not They're you know, allowing her to be spoken about in such terrible ways. And no one's really saying anything against it. Um, they're allowing it. So I think I, became a fan because of that just as in support of her because I was like I know she needs support I, I don't know her obviously but I'm sending her good vibes all the time um, because I know what she was up against and yeah we've all kind of been in those positions before and and it's been interesting to see the tide change towards her like people were so upset at her and now I think people are starting to realize like okay she had all these things going against her being a black woman joining the Royal family on top of being an American on top of, for some reason, being a divorced woman matters. And, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. She, in like those small, I don't know, people talking about her positively like matters. And I was kind of, I actually wasn't her biggest fan before she got married because her interviews were so rehearsed yeah. and I was just like, Oh God, this is going to be cringy. Ooh, and then yeah. it, it kind of fed into the, uh, there, there was a narrative at the time that I now see the problem with that was a little social climbing. Mm -hmm. And when she was like, well, the first thing I asked was, was he kind? And I'm like, that's not the first thing you asked about Prince Harry. Like, let's just like, let's, I feel you know. like the first thing I would ask him, like, okay, so let's talk about that Nazi costume <laughs> that you wore. Yes. Nazi costume, <laughs> drunk in Vegas, his pedophile uncle. I mean, like, I have a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> but as time went on and that wedding, that ceremony was just like, stunning and beautiful and like I thought it was such an important moment in history and um as the press went on I was like oh god this is horrible and when you really I just always want people to really sit down and think about being in her position marrying into that family the leaks come within the inside so you try to confide and to figure things out with your nearest and dearest and your nearest and dearest have aides that leak shit to the press that works for you but talks shit yeah. about you yeah and it's I think that she they made such a bold decision, not because they were doing something wrong, but because they knew they were doing something so right and leading leaving such a problematic organization that there is that they have the truth on their side. And I yeah. think that their royal family buries so much stuff. I think the queen siding with Prince Andrew and never defending Meghan. Yeah. Uh, so Kensington so correcting a, a Botox article about Kate, but not one of that says Megan straight out of Compton. When when I heard this stuff in Finding Freedom, I was like, "This is so yeah." It, to me, it's there's no there's no mystery whatsoever. Yeah, of why they left. Yeah, and when I start thinking about it, I'm like, okay, so they're having people. I don't know what their households are like, but they're having people who are serve the, serving them, working for them, who may have never had to work for a black woman before. And when you get those type of people. And I've had this happen to me, people underneath me, assistants in the classroom with me, and that they're not used to having their, you know, quote unquote boss be someone, a person of color or black. And it does not sit well with them. 
um, mm. for reasons that only they can answer. And so I'm like, there are probably people inside of her, you know, her home or who were just given to her as someone to work with her who probably didn't like their boss just because of the color of their skin. And so it, it just probably was ill fitting from the start. And if you're looking for a reason to dislike somebody, you're always going to find it. Um, mm-hmm. And I also think that Meg, Megan has like the anti-way. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Meg. <laughs> Megan has like the Anne Hathaway effect on people where you're like, why do I dislike her? And obviously it's different reasons, but like you're saying in her interviews, like she just comes off the same way as Anne Hathaway, just like very put together, very knowledgeable, kind of intimidating because of all of the things that she's done in her life, like writing letters as a 13 year old or however old she was to like Nick news or I'm not sure. what. And I'm like, I was not doing that. Like I was trying to watch MTV and sneak and watch MTV when my parents weren't looking like, um, I think it can come off as intimidating. And for some reason that part of her, I think people don't, it doesn't sit well with some people, but it's just the same thing as Anne Hathaway. It, where you're like, I don't know why I dislike them, but it's just how they come off. And because she is so poised and like kind of always on top of it, you're like, okay, come on. Like, can you do, can you make a mistake? Can you be a little bit more human? But I think that's just how she is. Yeah. That's an interesting parallel. I haven't drawn that. I need to like think through with Anne Hathaway because yeah, that the, it came true. Um, <laughs> really. I mean, set it over the edge when, yeah. like, but you're right. What's happening is a, a, these women are are measured and controlled and thoughtful and organized. And it's like, what not that like, that's my ideal. That's the way I wish I was. And yeah, yeah. we kind of will rage against people who don't have maybe elements of relatability or it's kind of even talking about your choices with kids. It's like, we're so quick to assume somebody else's alternate decisions is a criticism on our own. Mm-hmm. And just because somebody else has been a philanthropist since the womb doesn't mean I have to be mad about it just because I was shallow and like at, at Abercrombie or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I, I, I will take all the info and all the scoop I can get. I can't get enough. And I appreciate the way you talk about her too. Cause I feel like a cheesy fangirl. <laughs> but I think there's a lot of reasons to really love and respect her. And I think she's a really good role model. And I think she could move the needle. Like, yeah, the I royal think, family blew it. Yeah, they really did. I was like, y'all do not understand how perfect of a person she was to fit into your family. Like, she was really well educated. She had been in the public eye before. Like, she's very composed. I'm like, I just think about the average person and I'm like, they would not fit into that family, but they would crumble. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, if divorce is the, you know, supposedly one bad thing that she has against her in their eyes, like that's nothing compared to what she brings to the table. But, you know, I just hope, I don't know. I, I feel like they're just going to have this maybe shadow following them for the rest of their lives. And that makes me really sad. And I just wonder how people are going to treat their son as he gets older and, I've seen like how, you know, Beyonce's blue Ivy is treated by the press. And I'm like, it just, it breaks my heart. And, um, 
Well, you yeah. brought up a really interesting point and thought about of um, people reporting to a person of color mm -hmm. and how the AIDS, I didn't really think about that in terms of the AIDS being such this, in the book, uh, the Omid Scobie book Merritt and I reviewed, it was very clear the AIDS were the leaks. Mm -hmm. um, and the people that were like supposed to be helping them. Yeah. Uh, and it is kind of, an that's like a really interesting perspective because the, the, headlines that would come out would were almost so positive that it was confusing because they were trying to make it dishy and negative because <laughs> do you remember the one that was like she wakes up at 5 30 in the morning and makes a bulleted list of what she <laughs> wants to do she emails people like i i was i, I was like wait what like, why? why is this bad like it seems like she really is like, liking her job as you know, Prince yeah. Harry's wife or whatever she was at the time. Like, it sounds like doing she's taking normal. this seriously. <laughs> it, yeah, she was taking it seriously and being organized and doing normal things. And I'm like, on what planet would somebody view her organization and togetherness as demanding and shrill? But yeah. you have to think about the dynamics, but like who could possibly be leaking it? And that's an interesting layer. And like, I just think that the depth and denial of of racism and unethical reporting that goes on, I think, was like too much for them to take on. And yeah, yeah, I think it's I think it's really heavy. I think people don't are really not self aware at all and don't see the biases that they have in their own lives and um, and they just start disliking people and they don't really understand that it's stemming from. A place of racism and you know I don't want to say that like that's the reason for everything you know I'm sure they probably could have handled something better you know I don't know all the ins and out of their situation but I do know from a person who like I've been in situations where I've had someone underneath me working against me and I didn't even realize it until I'm like oh I I'm looking over everything and all of our interactions and the only thing that I can see is maybe you don't like me because of the color of my skin. Because when I look at your life and I see the people who you surround yourself with, they're, they don't look anything like me. And so, mm -hmm. and so, and that just makes sense to me because I'm like, it can't be anything else. And I've been, you know, giving you, I've been naive about the situation and giving you the benefit of the doubt, but now I kind of see it for what it really is. And um, it's hard to address that because when you talk about racism, you're not talking about something concrete. Like, you know, sometimes you can be when you're talking about the laws that have been put into place. But for the most part, it's something really abstract and you're going based off your experiences. And that's one reason why it's kind of been hard to to prove or to make changes um, mm -hmm. because of what's going on. And it's like, OK, well, how how can I show this person like or show my superior like this? this is why I'm being treated this way is because they don't like me because of the color of my skin. And usually typically the superior person in charge is like, well, are you sure? Like we have a welcome workplace environment and you're belittled and gaslit and all these different things, but. Right. Yeah. Well, and that, but that goes to show too the power of um, having kind of an outlet and audience separate from these things, because like, when I got the email from that dude, the, yeah. the client who's a woman who works for a women's empowerment brand sided with him. And, <laughs> but I can put it out and I can 
breathe life into it and I can have people learn from it and respond to it and then empathize with my experience. And it's like an opportunity where like I'm learning, I can share this with people and it's not in an effort to like call out or at all. It's like, I want less people to second guess themselves. And even yeah. when you were talking and you were like, I'm not saying it's always about race. I'm like, don't second guess yourself. Like yeah. <laughs> if, if that's your instinct, you're probably right. And mm -hmm. you need, and I don't, and I think you even sharing stuff like that is helpful for other women of color too, that like, I don't want people to be like backpedaling or coming down from their own arguments. Like it's, it's important. I think those are the examples where people maybe can't understand things objectively or intellectually, but when you put it in a, a scenario almost where that we're all in, you're like, Oh God, that's really shitty. And like, yeah. that's not okay. And I don't know. I just hate even thinking like you're there being like, well, it's not this and it's not that. And it's like, <laughs> bottom line, it doesn't matter why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't like, deserve okay, to be treated that way. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out. And it's well, and it's also because if you play the race card, then it becomes, oh my gosh, it becomes a thing. And you're like, I'm not even trying to play a card. I'm just trying to be treated the right way and to, be supported in the workplace or whatever environment you're in. So it's, it becomes this weird thing because then everyone, it's like you're, you become the target actually. It's like, even though I don't want to say I'm the victim, but even though you're the victim of racism, it's like suddenly you have to be the strong one because people don't want to be around you because for some reason, and then you become the center of this controversy and it becomes like the whole like white tears problem and the other person is usually like crying and talking to all the coworkers who were also white. And then you're left alienated feeling like maybe I just shouldn't have said anything at all because now look at this like shit storm I've stored storm um, created because of it. And it's an impossible thing to, need to stand up for something or correct for some sort of behavior while also having to weigh the implications on your relationship, your career w with um, Sasha Exeter and Megan and Jessica oh, Mulroney. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that was a so horrible. And in like, I can't even believe that went down the way it did. And I was proud of Sasha for, because they're uh, the Mulroney's are like powerful in Canada and, mm -hmm tried to exercise that power or whatever. Merritt and I think that her and Megan are not friends anymore. Do you have a take on that? But how could you see that be kind of like we were talking about earlier? It's like somebody says something that you're close with and you're like, oh, you, oh, that this isn't it. Like, no. Yeah. And it, you can't look at them the same. I kind of wonder if like for her to not only misspell libel, but also threaten libel and make it centered on herself when she wasn't even directing the conversation closely. I mean, it was just shocking on so many levels. It was. And, you know, Jessica could have taken that and done so many other things with it. But I, I would probably say, I, I would say Megan is probably a forgiving person, but because of where she is in her life and she just tried to escape from a family who was using their power in corrupt ways. Um, and then her best friend, goes and does the same thing to a person, I would say that she would probably be upset. I would be terribly upset if I saw somebody misusing their, um, their influence or their power that they have. And especially to take down another person of color, like 
what do you, what do you think you're doing? Like, I think that was just the dumbest move for her to make. And for her to use Megan as an excuse, like I'm not racist. I have, a, it's like, Oh no. Like, obviously, you know, nothing <laughs> like that. That's like one oh one, like anti-racism behavior. Like you don't proximity to blackness does not mean that you're racist just because you have Megan as a friend who would be an amazing friend to have, like, doesn't mean that you're not racist. And I think when people say that kind of stuff, it like lets me know exactly where they are. And as a black person, I'm always trying to figure out who I'm safe with and who I can, you know, talk to about these things and other people who I maybe have to like hide that part of myself from. Um, And I definitely think Megan would probably say she's not safe with her friend who was so close Mm -hmm. to her, but also her kids were in her wedding. And I just got to say, I didn't like those pictures of those kids in the wedding. I don't know. I don't want to talk about people's kids, but it just, it it ruined it for me. But trust me, (laughs) I I think I did talk about people's kids. I I was just, I was furious how they didn't fluff the veil. That veil took (laughs) countless women hours to make days, months. I mean, like, thinking kids were holding it. I know it was supposed to be really cute, but I don't know. It just wasn't. I know. Well, and I mean, I hope I literally everybody that that I know and follows you and people in the Facebook group, like, we all love you. Never hide yourself from any of us. If anything, do do more of what is true to you, because I think you've got a really unique voice and important one. You're so intelligent and dynamic. And I love your range and I love what you're doing and I hope you keep it up. And as a person that knows it's very hard to make these things materialize or concrete in a way, never dismiss the importance of the day-to-day consistency, because sometimes that is the material thing that ends up uh, being more important than everything else. And uh, I just, thanks for always being such a a light uh, day-to-day. I love following you. Thanks. I love following you. Well, I wanted to ask you, did anybody from Fred's circle see your stories or anything? Or not that I know of. I've been wondering about that. I'm like, I wonder if someone saw that, but that'd be great for them to see it so they could see what they did. Well, it's kind of one of those things where I don't, I said what I needed to say. And then it becomes a thing of where I'm being solicited to apologize or back down. And I kind of mm-hmm. want to just like, I'm like, I think we need to let people dangle. I really do. I yeah. think, I think, the, I think the unrest is healthy and important sometimes. And I know people I've definitely messed up and people have left me hanging and I've been like, you know, at first you're all defensive of your intentions and blah, blah, blah. But eventually you get to a point where you like have to reflect in a way. And if they're not responsive to you and they're done, there's a reason. And I just, I don't know. It was one of those things where I could make it into this huge thing. And then I fear at that point I'd lose credibility or I could just send one email and be like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Like I knew what you, cause he backtracked. He was like, you yeah. misunderstood. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, and then the client apologized for the misunderstanding, not for his behavior. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't want to get into the cycle of, you know, giving emails back and forth and, and how shitty is it? <laughs> To, to project a misunderstanding onto me. <laughs> right. I don't know. Well, I'll yeah, report back I, once I read uh, Battle of the Brothers. I don't know if I, I don't know if anyone will listen to that podcast episode, but I will be reading. I, know, that, I feel like that just makes me so sad. Like, I don't know the, so the tension between the two couples. I'm like, oh, Kate and Megan. Like, I think everyone wanted them to have this amazing friendship. 
and it just didn't happen and the hairy and will of it all. And I think a lot of of women checked me during that time that were like, you know, women don't all have to be best friends and get along. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I think I was kind of projecting on like, you either have to be BFFs for L or enemies. And I would totally try to be Kate's BFF for L. But if, if you don't vibe with another woman, you by no means have to pander to her weird behavior and be her best friend. You just yeah, don't. that's true. That is true. Yeah. And we were like, well, aren't you sister of the traveling pants? Like, yes, exactly. like what's going on? Where's the bond? I, we, we, we stand, we stand a media friendship and it's just <laughs> hard when it doesn't happen. But anyways, I will, I will let you go. This was so much fun. This is exactly what I wanted to do is just like, uh, talk to somebody who does the same things I do and hear about your experiences. And we're just such a, in such an interesting period of influence. I think it's, I want to continue the dialogue about what this looks like and how people can continue to be yeah. responsible and supportive. And I'm just so appreciative of your, your time and willingness to share. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. And I love your podcast and your Instagram account and I love following you. So you keep on doing what you're doing because you are definitely a highlight of the day. <laughs> but w- tell people where they can find you. At the Good Karma blog on Instagram and thegoodkarmablog.com is my blog. So you can Amazing. find me there. Um, I'm a lot more active on Instagram and that's where I post most of my content. So is it, it's just easier. It's like something about a blog post or a formal article or newsletter is just I just rather throw it up on a story. It's something about the lack of permanence makes me more creative. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this will go away. Except, <laughs> you know, 2,000 people are going to see it, but then it'll go away. Right, it's casual, it's casual. All right, yeah. thank you so much, Carmen. Take All care. Right, thanks, Kate. Bye. Isn't she the best? Like, run, don't walk. To support Carmen, go to at the Good Karma blog on Instagram. Prepare to be delighted. She's so beautiful, so talented. Did I talk to her about her artwork? Now, Courtney and I are obsessed with her artwork. She draws these really abstract self-portraits of women, and I want to buy them all, but she doesn't sell them yet. So hopefully I'll be first in line. And I hate. I, I really got to stop telling people about things before, <laughs> before I get a chance to have access to them. <laughs> anyway, um, I love you guys. Thank you for listening. I love uh, supporting people like Carmen. Always feel free to nominate people you want me to talk to for the Under the Influencer series now that I'm you know, even though I don't want to do these over phone or over Zoom, if that's the world we live in, I'll make it happen because I love having these conversations. I think they're really interesting how everyone's journey is a little bit different. And I always learn something from people that's super valuable. And I think Carmen, I just I love her transparency and openness and um, vulnerability on her platform. That is it's very hard to pull that off when you're in another career, knowing that the people in your life and in your profession are kind of following your every move. Um, and I really commend her for the way she's approached it and for, uh, how generous she is with information and education with her followers. And I just could not love her more. So anyway, support Carmen, support, uh, calm, the calm app, uh, Rothy's Nutrafol and Helix. All the codes are in the show notes as always. I'm putting up part two of the relationship podcast about Greg. As soon as I finish it, I'm going to ask you guys on Instagram what your core questions are now and hopefully finish it over the weekend. I will have it finished before Thanksgiving travel for sure. Um, And beyond that, I love you so much. Leave a review. Honestly, reviews make all the difference. 
uh, in the iTunes charts. If you could leave five stars, that'd be so cool. Or share with a friend on Instagram. And if you're private, send me a screenshot. And also patreon.com slash be there in five is where bonus content is. It's where my relationship podcast about like Greg and my dating history is right now. It's how you get to go to the PowerPoint parties and get in the Facebook group. And we're now kind of funneling everything through Patreon as like a gate in terms of knowing who's like here for the right reasons, basically. Um, And I know it's a paywall and that's annoying, but like anything in life, if things can be ad supported or subscriber supported, and those are two different formats in which you can support the podcast if you'd like to. And either way, I am so appreciative of your ears and your time and your interest. There is nobody better than the Beths. (laughs) You guys are going to get so annoyed with my Beth puns. (laughs) Anyway, you guys, uh, I hope you have a wonderful week. I will talk to you before Thanksgiving. There'll be another episode about Lord knows what, but it's going to be good. I'm sure maybe it'll be about candle culture. Um, And I hope you'll come back. I so, 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 so am appreciative of everybody who's here and I never take it for granted. And I hope you'll stick around in the second you're thinking about not sticking around. Please reach out to me and tell me why so I can do my best to keep you. I just, you know, uh, that's it for my desperation. I'm trying to figure out a way to like do something cozy and together and to look forward to during the holiday season i just think it's going to be a weird season and i know a lot of us can't see loved ones and i don't know i'm feeling a little bit of dread uh i don't want to feel but we are going to do a like a a holiday focused uh powerpoint party december 13th which i believe is a sunday and people are submitting stuff right now to do something like cozy and merry and bright and that'll be really exciting so uh i'm at least looking forward to that but my first live show last year was like a holiday spectacular and i'm just so nostalgic for it the live show made me miss you guys so much um i hope you saw i tried to feature a lot of you on my be there in five black magic um reel uh that i might post on maybe i'll post over frizz and friday no i don't know it's very self-congratulatory frizz and i don't know if people need to see that again (laughs) but i very strategically matched words to the lyrics like every time they say fall in love i think i show like a a video of greg um and every time they get your boy on his knees and repeat after me and say i like show lineup when it was like all dudes before me performing you know i i this is my version of taylor swift easter egging (laughs) yeah i i literally it took me eight hours to make that video but i had the best time it was like a celebration of all of you and all that this is and i don't know i'm a lucky lucky gal so anyway i hope you have the best weekend take care of yourself stay inside if you need to follow you know city and state ordinances keep yourself healthy and safe and your loved ones as well i hope i can keep you company in some way with my back catalog or patreon or whatever it is I'm here for you. Email us at uh, podcast to be there in five.com if you need us. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. 